If you have your Bible today, I'd like you to turn with me to the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel, if you would. 1 Samuel, and we will begin in chapter 14 and verse 1. 1 Samuel chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. And we're picking up again in our biographical sketches of some biblical characters. Last week we kind of paused that for a moment and, and looked at uh, a teaching of Jesus. But today we're going to look at a man in the Bible by the name of Jonathan. Now if you're familiar with the Bible, you might know the name Jonathan. Um, Jonathan appears in just a few chapters of the Bible, but most likely what you know about Jonathan, you know of him mostly because of his relationship to another biblical character we've looked at briefly, and that is King David. And it's understandable that you know more about King David than Jonathan, and that you think of Jonathan in relation to him, because David was the quintessential king. He was the he was the he was the the, the, the top of the top, the, the, the cream of the crop. He was the, the, the Israelite king that all other Israelite kings were compared to. Uh, he, he, it was his line through the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Uh, he, he came through the line of David. So, so David was an important character. And so we, we might know Jonathan because of his relationship to him. But that's unfortunate because Jonathan kind of stands on his own. He, he's not as well known as David, but he was an heroic character in Scripture. And what I'd like to do is cover a few incidents in his life and see what we can learn uh, from him and about him. Now, like other times that we've covered, folks, we're going to get little vignettes, little snippets out of their life. And the verses that we're going to look at are just kind of clips of those snippets. And so hopefully we'll be able to weave them all together as we go through. So if they seem a little disjointed as we're reading them, hopefully, uh, hopefully you have nothing to fear. But if you found 1 Samuel chapter 14, please stand in honor of God's word if you're able. And we'll pick up reading in verse 1. And it says, Now the day came that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to, to the young man who was carrying his armor, Come and let us cross over to the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gibeah under the pomegranate tree, which is in Migron. And the people who were with him were about 600 men. And Ahijah, the son of uh, Ahitab, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the, the son of Eli, the priest of the Lord at Shiloh, was wearing the ephod. And the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. Between the passes which Jonathan sought to cross over to the Philistines' garrison, there was a sharp crag on the one side and a sharp crag on the other side. And the name of the one was uh, Bozes, and the name of the other, Sinek, uh, Sinah. The, crag, uh, the one crag rose on the north opposite Michmash, and the other on the south opposite Geba. Then Jonathan said to the young man who was carrying his armor, Come and let us cross over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. Perhaps the Lord will work for us, for the Lord is not restrained to save by many or by few. His armor bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart. Turn yourself, and here I am with you according to your desire. Then Jonathan said, Behold, we will cross over to the men and reveal ourselves to them. If they say to us, Wait until, you, you, wait until we come to you, then we will stand in our place and not go up to them. But if they say, Come up to us, then we will go up, for the Lord has given them into our hands. And this shall be the sign to us. Evidently, Jonathan has prayed and, and asked that God would uh, give them a sign which way they should um, proceed. Verse 11. When both of them revealed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines, the Philistines said, Behold, Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden themselves. So the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, Come up to us and we will tell you something. In other words, we will teach you a lesson. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord has given them into the hands of Israel. Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet with his armor bearer behind him, 
and they fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer, uh, fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer put some to death after him. The first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was about twenty men within about half a furrow in an acre of land. And there was trembling in the camp, in the field, and among all the people. Even the garrison and the raiders trembled, and the earth quaked, so that it became a great trembling. Jump down a few verses to uh, verse 24. This is later on in, in the, uh, the same account. Now the, now the men of Israel were hard-pressed on that day, for Saul had put the people under an oath, saying, Cursed be the man who eats food before evening, and until I have avenged myself on my enemies. So none of the people tasted food. All the people of the land entered the forest, and there was honey on the ground. But when the people entered the forest, behold, there was a flow of honey, but no man put his hand to his mouth, for the, for the people feared the oath. But Jonathan had not heard when his father put the people under the oath. Therefore he put out, his hand, put out the end of his staff that was in his hand, and dipped it in the honeycomb, and put it his hand to his mouth, and his eyes were brightened. Jump down to verse 43, if you would. Then Saul said to Jonathan, Tell me what you have done. So Jonathan told him and said, I indeed tasted a little honey with the end of the staff that was in my hand. In my hand. Here I am. I must die. Jump over to chapter 18, if you would. Pick up in verse 1. Now it came about when he had finished speaking to Saul. This is, uh, this is David. That the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as himself. Saul took him that day and did not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, including his sword and his bow and his belt. Okay, pause there and jump over to chapter 20 and verse 30. This is later on in the account, obviously, and says, Then Saul's anger burned against Jonathan, and he said, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman. Do I not know that you are choosing the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Therefore now send and bring him to me, for he must surely die. But Jonathan answered Saul his father and said to him, Why should he be put to death? What has he done? Then Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him down. So Jonathan knew that his father had decided to put David to death. Then Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger and did not eat food on the second day of the new moon, for he was grieved over David because his father had dishonored him. Thank you. you may be seated. <clears throat> now I know that was, um, that, that was kind of a lengthy section, and we, we kind of jumped around. There were verses drawn from all sorts of different uh, incidents in his life, and like I said, hopefully we'll be able to weave these all together. And the first thing I want you to see is that Jonathan was brave. Jonathan was brave. Now, if you have your Bible open, hopefully you didn't close your Bible because we will be referring back to it. But, but if you look back at chapter 13, which we did not read from, you might have it open because I will reference some of these things in chapter 13. Now, if you've been following along in our little mini-series, I guess you call it, our, our series of biographical sketches, you may have noticed that one of the things that stands out about these people many times is their courage. It's their bravery. And they, they are in different circumstances, but the main thing that, that stands out about some of them, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you, you see it in the life of Jonathan, you see it in the life of others, that these people were courageous. They were brave individuals. And, and I think part of, part of the reason they're so inspiring is because we think to ourselves, if I was in that spot, if I was in that position, would I have done the same thing? Would I have the courage to do what they've done? Now, when we pick up in, in chapter 14, we kind of plop down in the middle of, of the, 
uh, of the story without really any context. If you look back at chapter 13, verses 1 and following, Saul had begun to reign. Now remember, in Israel's history, they had been led by judges for about 350 years. Finally, the people got fed up with that. They didn't like God as their king. They didn't like these judges ruling them. So they said, we want to be like all the pagan nations around us. We want a king. And so God said, that's not going to be a good idea, but you know what? I'm going to give you what you want. And so God gave them a king in the person of Saul. Now, in the first year or so of his reign, Israel's main enemy was a group called the Ammonites. And he fought against them and and defeated them. But while he's doing all that, while his focus is over here, the Philistines, whom you remember Samson had struck a a pretty big blow to them uh, back whenever he was a judge, they had been weakened during the days of Samson. But during this time, they really began to build up and become more of a political and military threat. And so in, in Saul's second year, they began to, to, to make inroads into the nation of Israel. And so Saul musters 3,000 men, chapter 13, musters 3,000 men. 2,000 of them are with him, and 1,000 uh, of them are with Jonathan, about an hour's march away in a place called Geba. Now, Jonathan actually attacked a garrison back in chapter 13 that we didn't read about. And remember, garrison's kind of like a... Uh, depending on how much it's fortified, it could be like a camp, but it could also be like a, a fortress. Okay, So he attacked, in chapter 13, a garrison of the Philistines with a thousand men, and, and uh, the Philistines get real mad. How could you do this to us? Yes, we're occupying your land, but how could you do that to us? And so they muster all these people, thousands and thousands of soldiers, charioteers, all these different things, and they began to make uh, inroads further into Israel, into the territory of Benjamin, which is the area that Saul and Jonathan were from. So, so the Philistines are in Israel. They began to oppress the Israelites, and one of the things that they did was they prevented them from owning any weapons. The, the Philistines were, were metal workers, and they said, even if you want to have your, if you want to have your tool repaired, if you want to have your hammer fixed, if you want to have your farm implements sharpened, you can't do it yourself. You've got to come to us, and we're going to charge you out the nose for it. Okay, so what, what ended up happening is the Philistines are this oppressive force, and the Israelites don't even have any weapons. So they're in a bad spot. How are you going to defend yourself? How are you going to attack the Philistines when you don't even have the weapons? So understandably, they were concerned that this military buildup was happening in their land. And so... Saul gathers all these people. They see all the Philistines coming at them, gathering, camping, doing all these things. Many of them begin to desert. Many of them go AWOL. Many of them are hiding. And, and their force gets reduced down to just 600 men. And the people that are with them are, are shaking in their boots. Now, I'm not giving you all this information for information's sake. This is all going to tie into Jonathan's story here in just a minute. So all this is going on. Meanwhile, Samuel has told Saul, I'm going to come down there in a week's time. I'm going to sacrifice to the Lord, do all these things. Saul looks around. All these people are leaving. And he says, what am I going to do? If, I, if it keeps going, I'm not going to have an army. And I'm kind of filling in some of the blanks. The Bible doesn't say that he thought this. I'm just putting words in his mouth. But he sees all these people deserting. And he says, what I'm going to do then is I'm going to try to stop this hemorrhaging of deserters. And I'm going to offer the sacrifices. To put it in today's terms, he acted unconstitutionally because he didn't have the right to do that. And just as he finishes up doing that, guess who shows up? Samuel, who's the one who was supposed to have done it. And so Samuel pronounces judgment from God 
on not only Saul, but also his family. And he says, you will not, your, your kingdom, you will not have a descent to continue on the throne. Now, who is Saul's descendant? Jonathan. So this directly affects Jonathan. Because of what Saul did, Jonathan doesn't get to be a king. So it's, it's a bad situation. But Jonathan, when we pick up in chapter 14, Jonathan doesn't even know about all this. In chapter 14, where we, where we picked up, there's a war going on. This, this battle, this garrison that, he had, that Jonathan had first attacked, that kind of sparked the war. So there's, there are these hostilities going on. Chapter 14, where we picked up, Jonathan says, I'm going to attack this garrison. But he doesn't say, I'm going to take my thousand men and attack. How many people go? Dose. Two. Two guys go to attack a military encampment. Now, even if you had Rambo and Colonel Braddock from Missing in Action, that, those would be some bad odds. I mean, they're, they're, they're going in, two guys, all by themselves. They don't have military backup. They don't have tanks coming with them. They have no air support. It's just them going to attack this garrison. Bad situation. And so they go, and, and I don't know a lot about military um, tactics, but I do know that if you have the high ground, that's a good thing. The Philistines have the high ground because Jonathan and his armor bearer have to climb up to them. I also know that if you are in a, uh, a military situation, you don't typically attack a force that's at least 10 times your size. But we know that's what they did because they killed at least 20 of them and there were others who were scared. So these guys are pretty gutsy. They're, they're pretty brave. And look at verse 6, chapter 14, verse 6. Jonathan said to the young man who was carrying his armor, Come, let us cross over to the garrison of these uncircumcised Perhaps the Lord will work for us, for the Lord is not restrained to say by many or by few. That man has courage. He was ready to fight the Philistines, even if the odds were stacked against him. He trusted God despite the overwhelming odds. Now I want to tell you, that is a lesson for us today. Because the God that we read about that worked in the life of Jonathan is the same God that we just got through praying to and the same God that we just got through singing about. He's the same God today as he was in the days of Jonathan. He is as, as powerful and miraculous and wonder-working today as he was during the days of Jonathan. God is not limited or constrained by numbers. He is not limited or enabled by popular opinion. It doesn't matter what the, what, what the polls say about what people think about this item or, or, or that topic. God is not constrained or enabled by any of those things. God can be trusted. God will, God will empower you as a Christian during those hard times. God is not, God is not limited. Sometimes we, we pray and we say, well, I don't know if I should pray because you know, the doctors have given these odds. I don't know that I should pray because I've dealt with this with my boss and, and in, in my experience with, with him or her, he, he or she's going to act like this. Maybe I shouldn't pray. May, 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 it, it's just hopeless. But listen, God is not constrained by the odds. It, it doesn't matter if you have a lot of troops or a few troops. It doesn't matter if the doctors say this or if the doctor says that. God can act and He will act according to His will. And He will empower you to do what He's called you to do. He can be trusted. He'll help you through those hard times. And I just wonder, do you have a circumstance in your life where things are stacked against you. 
Do you have a circumstance in your life where, where the odds are not in your favor? Are you facing a situation where you need God's help? He can be trusted. Listen, Jonathan was courageous. We could have looked and we, we did briefly read about later Saul had made a foolish uh, a curse on everybody and said if you eat and, and before we get all the Philistines, that's a capital offense. Now Jonathan didn't know about this. He ended up eating and, and Saul says, you know what? Even though you didn't know about it, that's it. Time to die. And Jonathan says, okay. If that's, he, faced, he faced the consequences of his actions. He, he, he had courage. Now in the interest of time, we'll, we'll move on. The second thing I want you to see is that Jonathan was a good friend. Jonathan was a good friend. And this is the part that we usually focus on out of Jonathan's life. But if you'll turn, turn over to chapter 18. As you look down through there, in chapter 17, David has just kill, killed Goliath. Now that's a very famous incident. We all know about you know the shepherd boy facing off with the giant, killing him with a sling and a stone and all these things. So in chapter 17, that happens. The Israelites won a decisive victory over the Philistines. No no doubt because David had killed Goliath, encouraged them, and, and scared the Philistines. So that all happens. The Philistines are getting wiped out. David talks to Saul in kind of like a, an after-action report or, or debriefing after all of it's happened. And, and, and then in chapter 18, after he gets through talking to Saul, the Bible says that he and Jonathan became close friends. They hit it off. They're, they're two peas in a pod. They're as close as brothers, closer even than brothers. These men served in the same army. They, they had many things in common. But there was something, I would say, supernatural about it because the, the Bible says that they were knit together. God bound them to one another. They, they were tied to, to one another. And I, I, I just wonder, do you have a friend like that? Do you have a friend that no matter what day of the week, no matter what is going on, no matter what time of day it is, it can be the wee hours of the morning, if there is a need, a serious need, do you know I could call that person and they would be there for me. I could call that person, I could call on that person, and they would do everything in their power to help me. That's what David and Jonathan had in one another. And maybe you have a friend like that. It's been noted that, that, that you may have a lot of friends in life, maybe a lot of acquaintances, maybe uh, several friends, but the number of people like that over your span of your whole life you can probably count on one hand and probably have fingers left over. Some people never even have that type of a friend. But yet these two men were bound to one another. Now if you consider this, it doesn't make a lot of sense humanly speaking because Jonathan is the heir apparent. He's the one that should have been taking the throne after Saul died. But because of what Saul did, Jonathan is out. He doesn't get to do that. He doesn't get to ascend the throne. In other words, no one would benefit more from David's death than Jonathan. And yet, if you'll notice, Jonathan saves David's life a number of times. Now, now, in chapter 18, okay, back in chapter 17, David kills one guy, Goliath. Chapter 18, they all go back to town, and the women folk come out, and they start singing songs. And they start dancing around, they said... Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. He's killed one guy. And, and anyway, Saul hears this and he gets real jealous. He starts going a little nuts. 
And he begins to doubt David and be suspicious of him. And, and he's insane with jealousy. And he even tries to kill him at one point. He, he, he tries to murder David. And then if that's not enough, in chapter 19, which we didn't read, he plots to kill David. Look at chapter 19 and verse, uh, at verse 4. It says, Then Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul his father and said to him, Do not let the king sin against his servant David, since he has not sinned against you, and since his deeds have been very beneficial to you. So Saul says, I'm going to kill David. He shares that with Jonathan. And what does Jonathan do? He stands up for him. He speaks well of him. And I just want to pause here and say that we all need somebody to speak well of us when we're not in the room. We all need somebody in our lives that will speak well of us when we're not in the room. Now, we've all been in, in situations, we've been in places, a, a room, a conversation, whatever it is, and somebody's not there to defend themselves, and, and people start piling on somebody. Somebody starts bad-mouthing a person that's not there, and it can be uncomfortable. And we need, if that's happening to us, we want somebody to stand up for us. We want somebody to say, hey, you know what, that's not, that's not right. That's not true. Listen, we need to stand up for our friends when that's happening and we're present and they're not. We need to be that person for our friends. If you want to be a friend, what do you need to do? Be a friend. If you want a friend, be a friend. Now somebody said that fake friends will say good things to your face and bad things behind your back, but a true friend will say bad things to your face and good things behind your back. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. Jonathan stood up for David, even though his father was plotting on killing him. He was nuts. Then in chapter 20, which is the famous passage about the arrows and all that, where Jonathan finds out that Saul's going to try and do David harm again, and he ends up preserving David's life one more time. Jonathan was a good friend, even though it wasn't expedient for him to be so. And that's the lesson for us. The last thing I want you to see about Jonathan is he dealt with a terrible father. He dealt with a terrible father. Now, if you look at verses 30 to 34, you'll, you'll see that. Look at verse 30 again. Now, what, just to kind of set this up, Saul is, is having these, these feasts. David doesn't show up. Saul's wanting him to be there so he can kill him. And David catches wind of this. And he, he, he's, he's absent. He's out, he's out foxing Saul. And so Saul gets real mad, verse 30. Then Saul's anger burned against Jonathan because he knows Jonathan's helping him. And he said, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you're choosing the son of Jesse, that's David, to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? He's verbally abusing his son. Now Saul, like I said, is seeking to kill David. David's lying low. He knows Jonathan's helping him. But verse 30, and we read that, and we say, well, that's kind of stilted. It's kind of a weird terminology. Different translations render this different ways. Some of the more succinct ways it's rendered in certain translations is, you son of a whore. Now understand, he's not saying this to insult Jonathan's mama, his wife. He's doing it to insult Jonathan. Because even in our culture, if you want to insult somebody, what do you do? You start talking about their mama. You start talking about their dad, but especially their mama. And what happens to them's fighting words, right? 
You don't, you don't talk about my mama. Well, in that culture, is even more so. If, if you wanted to insult somebody, you spoke about their parentage. You, you denigrate their parents or, or, or their parents' character. And so to speak about his mom like this was a high insult. He was verbally abusing him, but it gets even worse because in verse 33, he actually tries to kill his own son. Now remember, this is at least the second time, the second time we know about that he wanted to do this and tried to do it. Because back in chapter 14, verse 43, you remember uh, Jonathan had done all this, had taken the honey, and, and Saul said, you're going to die because you violated my, my command, even though you didn't know about it. The soldiers saved his life. So that's the first time. But now in chapter, uh, uh, chapter 20, he actually attempts it, throws a spear at him, and tries to murder him. Now, now Jonathan's father is what you might call a rat. He's evil. He did a lot wrong in his life. But listen, I want you to get this. Jonathan didn't let his father's behavior define him. He was his own man. He thought for himself. He acted for himself. He realized that that, that, that was his father, but he didn't carry that over to his own marriage and in his relationship with his own kids. Now I want to tell you that, that, that today you may have grown up in a rotten environment. You may have had a mom or a dad or a grandparent or an aunt or an uncle or, or whoever it was in, in your life that acted kind of like Saul. They were verbally abusive to you. Maybe they called you names. Maybe they said you never amount to anything. Maybe they were physically abusive to you. Maybe they hurt and abused you in other ways. Maybe, maybe they got drunk or were under the influence of drugs. Maybe they even tried to kill you. Their actions and their attitudes and their lifestyles do not define you. You can rise above that. You can be different. You don't have to carry that into your own marriage. You don't have to carry that into your own dealings with your children. You are not your parents. Now, Jonathan dealt with a terrible father. And yet he turned out to be one of the most valiant, heroic men in the Bible. And I just want to encourage you not to let your past write the end of your story. Because you can change your story. You can, you, you can change the way that ends. Now notice, he didn't stay in harm's way, did he? Verse 33, he, he throws the spear at Jonathan. And verse 34, Jonathan doesn't say, oh, you missed, try again. I'm going to sit here and be target practice. He doesn't do that. He gets up and he gets out of there. And I'm not saying if you're in, in an abusive relationship or a dangerous situation to, to, to stay there and, and get beat up on or any of that stuff. Get out of that. Abuse of all kinds is evil and wrong. So you need to secure your safety if, if that, that were, would ever be the case. But many of you may be on the other side of that now. Maybe you grew up in just a rough situation. You had a, a bad mom or a bad dad. Listen, you're not your mom or dad. You're not your grandparents. You can change the narrative. You say, boy, I, growing up, I wish things were different in my life. You can make that change. It can be different in your kid's life, in your grandkid's life. Maybe you're, maybe you're facing a situation that's not like that, but it's difficult because of something else. Maybe the odds are against you. The situation is too big. It's, a, it's something too hard for you to handle. It's overwhelming. You feel like you're, you're drowning. Listen, you can trust God even in the face of difficult circumstances. And because of that trust, then you can be brave. 
Then you can take courage. Then you can act. Once you stand with me as musicians come. And as you stand, I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And with nobody looking around, I just want to encourage you to consider the examples of Jonathan. Jonathan was brave. He was courageous. He faced, he faced impossible odds. And yet in the midst of that, he trusted God. He believed God. And that moved him to action. God's work does not depend on the odds. God sits in heaven and he does whatever he pleases. And it could be that maybe today you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. You say, my, my sins are too bad, my lifestyle's too bad, I'm too old, I'm, I'm whatever it is. You say, the odds are against me. God is not limited by the severity of your sin. It's not like His grace will extend so far, but if you are too bad, you can't be saved. The Bible says that Christ saves to the uttermost, to the ends of the end. He, that there's no sin that's outside the scope of His forgiveness. If you'll trust in Christ as your Savior, if you'll confess Jesus as Lord with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, the Bible says you will be saved. Heavenly Father, we thank You that You take our broken messes, maybe a broken uh, relationship we have, maybe we come from a a dysfunctional family. Maybe we're dysfunctional. But thank you that you don't leave us like that. You've, you've empowered us to make a change in our lives that we don't have to act like our parents. We don't have to be hopeless and fearful in the face of difficult odds. That we can trust you. We can have courage to face whatever it is the life throws at us. Lord, I pray for each person that's hearing me today that you would help them in the situations they're facing. Encourage each one. Comfort each one. Help us to trust you better. And Lord, for the person who's never accepted Christ as their Savior, I pray for their salvation, that they would trust in Him. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.